0: Turn to Matthew chapter 25. Take a a scripture text, a reading from Matthew chapter 25. This is a parable about Jesus telling about the kingdom of heaven. Or he's telling a parable about the kingdom of heaven. Fourteenth verse, Matthew 25. The kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling into a far country. Who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods, possessions. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one. To every man according to his particular ability. And straightway or immediately took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same. In other words, he invested them and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two talents, he also gained another two But he who received one talent went, dug a hole in the earth, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and reckoned with them. And so he who received five talents came and brought another five talents, saying, Lord, you've delivered unto me five talents. Behold, I've gained five additional talents. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord." He also that received two talents came and said, Lord, you've delivered unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained another two talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Then the one who received only one talent came and said, Lord, I knew that you are a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, gathering where you have not strown." or scattered, and I was afraid, and I went and hid your town in the earth, and lo, you have what is yours. His Lord answered and said unto him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I sow not, gather where I haven't thrown. You should therefore have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have at least received my own money with interest." Take therefore the talent from him and give it unto him which has ten talents. For unto every one that has shall be given, and he that has shall have abundance. But from him that has not shall be taken away even that which he has. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Before I say anything else, I want everybody here and everybody listening to know My heart with this message is for my generation. It may apply to some of you older people. It may apply to younger people. The Holy Spirit will help me. It may be a benefit to everybody listening. But my heart is for my generation with this message. And I also want you to know, my generation, that I'm for you. I'm for you. And anything that may seem like criticism is coming from a place of love. this parable, which Jesus uses to tell what the kingdom of heaven is like, which at least in part is talking about what our lives right now are like, we live in this place, we have an opportunity to advance the kingdom of God. I don't know how our culture, I'm talking about church culture among the people we fellowship with, became so afraid of discussing money in relation to God. I'm not sure how that happened, but it happened. Jesus wasn't afraid of it. Jesus used money and investing and the market economy to try to explain a spiritual truth. And so I'm going to do the same thing somewhat in this message. I think this parable is pretty clear. I won't restate all of it. But basically, he gave one guy five talents, another two, and another one. And the one that had five, he doubled what God gave him. It's interesting that the parable that Jesus told, each person was responsible proportionally to produce what God had given them. They were responsible for what what their master gave them. The five-talent man made five more. That's significant. God doesn't expect you to do more than you can do. But I want you to know your life is too important to do nothing with it. He has given every single person who has breath purpose for life. I'm not going to say a purpose because people get overwhelmed and they think, what is my purpose? Well, your purpose changes season by season. It manifests in different ways and it's different things for different times. The ultimate overarching purpose is to know God. And yet... Jesus recognized that diligence was so important in truly coming to understand the character of God that He told us a parable that said you are proportionally responsible for production in your life based on what God has given you. Laziness is one of the greatest sins there is because it robs you of life. You don't think that's serious? You don't think what I said is true? Take from the one who has one talent, give it to the one who has ten talents. To every one who has shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him who has not shall be taken away that which he has. Cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus compares the end of a life of no productivity, no spiritual activity, no purpose, to being sent to hell. If you live a spiritually lazy life, you will have hell on earth. You'll be depressed. You might be suicidal. Your life will have no meaning and no purpose. You'll barely be able to get out of bed. And and none of it will make any sense to you because you're trapped in such a rut that you can't understand it. Sometimes all a person of my generation (laughs) needs to do is go get a job. And that will be enough to break the rut that you're trapped in. The man who had one talent had a job to produce something with that. And because of fear... Because of laziness, and because of who knows what else, he buried it. There's so many in my generation who are burying the talents, the opportunities, the gifts God has given them. Because your parents lied to you. They have perpetuated mental poverty. Your parents. They're wrong. And what I want you to know, my generation, it's not your parents' responsibility to break the cycle, it's yours. You have to take responsibility for your life. Do I seem angry? I hope not. All I've thought about for the last 72 hours is this message, literally. I'm so overwhelmed with this, um, this burden. It's not just an abstract spiritual burden. It's a burden produced from practically watching what people are doing with their lives, what the society is saying and what their parents are saying and what the parents are causing. And that's why I'm telling all of you, you're a millennial, you're a Generation Z, you're under 40 years old, life is what you make it. You have a decision whether to break the cycle you're in or not. You can't wait for somebody else to do it. Uh, Friday night after work, afternoon after work, I went up to Cincinnati. I was in four states in 24 hours, and and, uh, the whole time I was driving, the whole time I was there, I was thinking about this, this message. I went on the way back home by a waterfall in Indiana... And may be one of the biggest ones up there. And fascinatingly enough, in central Indiana, where everything is flat, there's a big waterfall. And it's in the middle of a creek or river that's over 50 feet wide. And this waterfall, the, the cliff, is maybe 12 feet or more. There was hardly any water in it, and just a little stream coming off. So I went and walked through the creek bed, and I experienced some things I've never seen before. Down here, most creeks I've been in are full of sludge, sand, mud, topsoil, little Indian money, we call it, the little animals. That was a a rock bed. And I walked through there, and I saw ruts in the rock that God used to... ...for this message. Some of you are in a rut in your life. I've been in ruts in my life. We all go through that. What is a rut? A rut, the best way I know to describe it, uh, a group of sheep or cattle walk down the same exact path through a field and next thing you know it's three feet deep. (laughs) Over years, the same thing, over and over and over and over. And so I went and I looked at this, there was no water, so I got to see what happens underneath the surface. And some of you have things happening, in fact, all of us, underneath the surface that people can see. And your mom or your dad or your grandpa or your pastor or whoever sees the surface and they think they know what's wrong with you and they think they know what you need, but there is underneath the surface of that water a foundation that looks like this riverbed that nobody can see and only you are aware of what it's like if you take the time to investigate it with God. It takes a lot of time of silence. And so I walked through this bed, and I saw the typical ruts running with the stream that you would expect. I saw something I didn't expect, round ruts, like the size of a basketball. Round circles in the rock from a stream running. How, is that, how does that happen? Because sometimes the stream gets to a spot, and all it can do is sit there and spin because of the way the foundation is structured. And sometime in your life, you run into a rut that's not just a rut, it's a circle. You go in circles. The most fascinating thing about this riverbed is there were ruts, I saw three of them in a row, running perpendicularly to the flow of the river. I imagine the way those are made is the river gets to a place where it can't go any further and it, spins, it turns over, just like waves breaking on a shore. Now, this is all under the surface. On the top, the water's rushing, and nobody can see any of that. And yet, somehow, perpendicular ruts were made. Sometimes in your life, you will hit a wall, and you'll just stop. And you'll sit there and spin, like a car spinning its tires, or like this river that's somehow churning ruts in, perpendicular to the flow of where it should be going. Sometimes ruts that you're in in your life are so deep, you can't even see out the sides. In fact, you're so busy making the rut because all you can do is just keep doing what you're doing because you don't know what else to do. And the rut, you know when you do that, the rut gets deeper and deeper. That's the point of a rut. The more you use it, the deeper it gets. And so you're entrenching yourself in bad habits over and over and over. You know the more you sleep late, the harder it is to get up early? I've experienced that. The less purpose you have in your life, the less purpose you have in your life. Does that sound silly? Inactivity breeds inactivity. Despair breeds despair. Depression breeds depression. You get worse and worse as the rut gets deeper until one day, if Satan has his way, your life will be over. That's why my generation is committing suicide at higher rates than ever before because our lives have no purpose in this generation. How you get out of a rut that's so deep, you can't, it's all smooth. That's the other thing about... It's hard to get down into a, a river where the banks are smooth because it's rubbed them all down. It takes some climbing, it takes some slipping on the moss. You might slide into the water. You know the best way to get out of a really deep rut? Easiest way. Is when it floods. Because then you come to the surface. And all you have to do is grab onto a tree root or a branch and pull yourself out. But in the moment, when that rut you're in floods, it threatens your entire existence. Let me tell you how that looks in my generation, one way. The kid feels like they they just they can't they don't know what they should do with their life, they they don't have success, the the economy's hard, there aren't any jobs and One day, the parent sees that rut is so deep that they say, I love you too much, I'm going to flood that rut, I'm not paying your rent anymore, period. How many of you parents, this is not just for this room, this is for this generation, how many of you do things for your children that your parents never did for you? And aren't those things that your parents never did for you what made you the man or the woman you are? I've heard people say, I just want to give my children what I never had. Listen, brother, sister, the things you never had are what made you useful in life. Difficulty is what makes you grow, challenge is what makes you better. Yes. I want to ask you this my generation, where my heart is, are you happy? I've been asking people that a lot lately. I asked the waitress that yesterday. We were talking, I was writing, she's a a Thai lady, and so there was a little bit of a communication barrier, and she said, what are you writing? And I started to explain to her, I've got these things on my heart for the sermon tomorrow, and I'm writing about success and happiness. So we started talking, and I said, are you happy? And she said, what do you mean? I said, are you happy in life? And she said, right now, I'm happy. My job, right now is to make sure you have the food you need and that makes me happy. When I go home it's a different story. I said you mean your job's easier than real life. She said yes. Happiness is not just circumstantial. She was talking about circumstantial happiness in the mo- in other words, I have a purpose in this job, I do it well and I have circumstantial fulfillment right now, but when I go home, we talked more, she she wonders about religion, about Jesus. She just heard about Jesus a couple years ago. and She said, when I go to church and they sing those songs about Jesus, I want to cry. And I feel something inside. So I told her as simply as I could about God saving me. And I said, "Um, when you feel that, those songs, and when you feel your heart, so that's the Lord speaking to you. all you have to do is respond. And he'll give you the kind of peace I'm talking about to where you'll have happiness in your life. And she said, I'll keep searching. (laughs) So I'll ask you, are you happy? Oh, not in just one second, but generally. Do you have a generally happy life? Are you successful? Is your life successful? You know what I usually get when I talk to my generation with that kind of a question? Are you successful? Uh, I don't know. Well, what would it look like if you were successful? I don't know. What do you want? I don't know. Oh, okay. Do you know how the dictionary defines success? The favorable or prosperous termination of anything attempted. A newer definition, that's from Webster's 1828. A newer definition says basically accomplishing what you set out to accomplish. Accomplishing your goal. Practically, this message is going to be a practical message, not a scriptural exposition message, because you have practical problems in your life that abstract theology won't help. That's right. Your unhappiness is not cuz you don't know about the Bible. Because your life doesn't match up with what God made it to be. There's no way to know if you're successful if you don't know what it is you're trying to accomplish. There's no way to know what you're trying to accomplish if you don't know who you are. And there's no way to know who you are if you don't turn down the noise and the distraction and the depression and the despair and figure out who you are. Be alone. Don't be alone with your phone. That's not alone. That's alone with Satan. Satan. And I, I, the phones are wonderful. I, I use mine all the time to save time. But that time-saving device can become a device of enslavement, and every one of you know that. Don't be alone with your phone. Go out in a kayak or a canoe or uh, uh, sit in the woods or do like I did and take a road trip to Cincinnati because you made a bad purchase on a jet ski and you're trying to c- cover some of your losses. <laughs> I decided to turn something bad into something good. You know how much time I spent whining about losing $2,000 on a jet ski? About 10 seconds. And my conclusion was "Eh." oh, well, because it's just stuff, it's just money. My happiness is not that circumstantial. You know what does take my happiness? Worrying about people. That's what I have to lay down before the Lord. Caring, wanting something for someone more than they want it for themselves. That's the biggest stress in my life. That's the biggest problem with this generation. You don't want anything for yourselves. Why? Because you're comfortable. Why? Because mom and dad, grandpa, whoever made you comfortable. Why? Oh, they meant well, but they've lied to you. Life is not like that. Life is hard. Even Jesus told his people, in this world you will have trouble. And most parents raise their children in the modern age with the single goal of keeping their child from experiencing discomfort. You're not helping your kids. You're crippling them. You are handicapped. You're making them retarded. I'm not making fun of retarded people. The word means held back like a fire retardant. You are holding back the fire of their passion and their zeal and their creativity every time you bail them out of a difficult situation. Back to my question. Are you successful? If you honestly don't know how to answer that, let me give you a backdoor way to try to answer it. I want you to listen to this message practically. I want you to re-listen to it later. Take notes if you need to when you go home. Maybe start, some of you young people who are actually interested in having a fulfilled, happy life, start out by going home alone, listening to this message, getting out a piece of paper, pausing it when you need to, taking notes, and then taking action. It's going to be that practical. If you don't know how to figure out if you're successful, let me ask you this. Do you know anybody who is successful? If your answer is no, very simply, you need some new friends. I'm, that's not a joke. I can think of a lot of successful people in my life, and it helps me gauge whether I am using the talents God gave me as He expected, whether He's going to come back and say, good and faithful servant, well done, or if He's going to say, you wasted it. So, All the successful people I can think of. And some of them, it's different areas. Some people are very financially successful. Some are very good at their job teaching or very good at being nurses or whatever the case. Very good at being husbands or fathers or wives or mothers. But there are characteristics that I see in every person in my life that's successful. And not only in my life, but people I know uh, that I've read about. There's, I wrote down ten. There's more than this, but this was what was on my mind and heart. All successful people live life intentionally rather than accidentally. They live life intentionally. They don't just float through life. I want to read just This A one of the restaurants I was at. I wrote on a napkin. This is about my feeling of success. I said, success is loving being alive in each moment. Do you love being alive? I know what it feels like to not love being alive. I didn't used to know what that felt like. God allowed me to go through a season this year where I've experienced, finally, apathy and depression and despair and all these things that my generation faces. I never knew what that felt like because I was so driven, so focused, so accomplishment-motivated. So focused on the talent God gave me instead of myself. When I got focused on myself, my life spiraled into depressed misery. And so I've realized for me, success is loving being alive in the moment. Success is being crazy about life, but also peaceful with whatever may be. Always striving and not, not disheartened by the striving. I wrote success is the opposite of sleepwalking through life. Success is being fully in the moment while making preparation for the future. Some of us mistake wishing for preparation. And it's, it's a, a pandemic in this culture. Another thing, this is the second thing that all successful people do. They do hard things habitually. The most successful people I know actually look for hard things to do. Hard for them. It may not be hard for somebody else. That would look like me taking a dance lesson, which I haven't done yet and I probably need to at some point because that's one of the hardest things I can think of, one of the most uncomfortable things I can think of. It's not hard for me to get up and speak in front of a crowd. It's energizing. I love it. For some people, being in front of a crowd is worse than dying. So the doing hard things is different person by person. But every successful person I know, they seek out hard things. They don't run from them. The third thing, they take responsibility for their own success or failure. To this day, one of the most life-altering experiences I had was my freshman year of college... Through a string of events which I won't spend time on, I ended up in honors section of Western civilization. And I showed up a week late because I dropped a class that was just terrible. And because I was interested in success. And my well, I'll tell you that. My class I had was public speaking, and the public speaking teacher was the worst public speaker I'd ever seen. I said, I can't learn public speaking from this person who everybody's asleep and frustrated and mad. So I went to the history department head and I said I don't really know what I'm interested in pursuing as a career yet, but I like history and can you help me get in a better class? So he walked me over to this professor who was also a director of the honors department. So she had these super high standards. And uh, she says, sure, you can get in the class. And she shows me the books. And it was a stack of, I mean, I hold my hands at my waist and hold the books on with my chin. One class. One class. I always made A's in high school, except for calculus. Hardest class I've ever taken. And I got a a B minus, I think. Maybe a C, and I don't regret it. Because it's not the result, it's it's the process that lets you know whether, was I successful in that class? I was for me. My brain's not wired that way and I didn't fail. (laughs) Again, I gave it all I could, that calculus. So I go there. I'm used to doing well in school. I'm used to it not being terribly hard. And on my first exam, I get a a low C. Now, I had a choice in that moment that I didn't rationalize or analyze. I just had a choice. I could have called my mommy and whined and complained. And she could have came to the school and talked to the professor about how unfair that was and how she was damaging my self-esteem. I didn't even call my mom about it. You know what I did? I went and saw the professor who, my life was in her hands for that class, and she was good at what she did. And so I went to see her and I said, Listen, I'm not used to making, this is like failing to me. What do I need to do to do better? Help me. People who are successful take responsibility for their failures. I I, I had a bad experience that was my fault, I wasn't prepared. I took responsibility. How did I not get prepared? Well, my mom didn't put me in enough AP classes. Life's just hard. I wasn't prepared. So what? So I went and told her that. She gave me some tips. I applied them. And on the next exam, I hung this up in my dorm room for quite a while. She gave me an A- and uh, wrote, This is the best exam in the class. Please consider becoming a history major. That changed my life. It changed my academic career. I realized for another time, it wasn't the first time I realized it, but it reinforced that doing hard things actually makes you more able to do more hard things, which is what makes you fulfilled. They take responsibility for their lives and they refuse to be victims. I used to notice my classmates, (laughs) they get a bad grade on a test, their first thought would be, the teacher doesn't like me. I had teachers who didn't like me. They still had to give me a good grade because I figured out what they expected and I did it. That is how life is. Your employer might be unhappy with you because they're having a bad day or it could be because you're not doing what you should be doing. Figure out what you should be doing. You might not have gotten a job because you weren't prepared, but you think it's because of some other reason. Take responsibility for what happens in your life. Let me tell you something. You cannot change the way the world is in this present moment at this present moment. So all you can change is yourself. All you can change is how you think about it. All you can change is what you do about it. I've had to do that at my job. I got to the point where I had a terrible attitude... I actually felt like for the first time in my life, almost 10 years there, that senior management actually wants us to fail. I never believed that before. When all my coworkers would say it, I would say, Yeah, I don't think I think it's just a, a big organization and there's a disconnect. And I got such a bad attitude, I wouldn't speak to my boss. I couldn't stand her anymore. And finally. This was, in, I don't know, over a month ago. I started realizing yes, the situation's hard. Yes, all my coworkers in my same position are complaining about how hard it is. Yes, it's difficult. Maybe I should just quit. And I still will someday, but it'll be when I'm doing well, not because I'm running. I'm afraid of what quitting, I'm afraid of what running away would do to my soul. I don't mean that thing that I'm taking to heaven. That, that, I mean that deep that part of me that shapes how I approach life. I've never done that before and I don't want to. I'm afraid of it. Some of you need to quit running away. So I said, okay, I can't change the situation. I can't change the fact that they're still making us work overtime even though we don't have enough work. I can't change the fact that I have to produce this amount of work even though I don't have enough work to produce it. can't change any of that. So I went to my boss a couple weeks week or two ago and I said, "Look, I've never been in this position before. I've tried everything I know to try. I don't know how to make any more production. I need help." And so she okay, we'll sit you down with this person who is making production and doing well." I said, "Great." So that's going to happen at some point. Took responsibility for my own failure. You know what? Changed my attitude like crazy. I've been happy ever since. Circumstances are exactly the same. I don't dread work every day. I actually like getting up again. I'm not sleeping as much. Maybe I was depressed and didn't know it. Maybe some of you are depressed. And whatever that means, you know what it means? You don't have any purpose, happiness, fulfillment in the moment. The fourth thing all successful people I know, I'll move through the rest of these a little faster. All the successful people I know. They choose to see opportunity instead of obstacles. I hope I don't hurt anybody's feelings. Wednesday night we were talking after service and one person said there are no jobs. And I said, that's not true. It's not true. If you look at Department of Labor statistics, there's more jobs than there's ever been. The jobs are different than they used to be. Amazon is about to put in a second headquarters that will bring 50,000 jobs to whatever city they select. Those are jobs that aren't like the jobs you grew up with. They are information jobs. You say, well, that's dumb. Well, it might be dumb, but people are buying it. Amazon has transformed the way people buy the world. They just bought Whole Foods Marketplace you know that lowered the prices of stuff pretty soon eventually bezos the owner the manager of amazon is going to make those marketplaces so that you don't even have to interact y'all are always complaining about how stupid the cashiers are (laughs) instead of complaining he said i'm just going to make it where you won't have to interact with them you're going to be able to walk in the store and walk out and never have to talk to anybody and it's going to charge your amazon account automatically Now, we can sit back and say there's no jobs, the world's bad, terrible, conspiracies, all this stuff. I know a guy in India who makes 70,000 U.S. living in India programming. Say, well, I don't like programming. Okay. I know a man who started a pool business who's a millionaire. He cleans pools. And he employs five people, and they all make over 60,000 a year to support their families. Well, I don't want to clean pools. Okay. I know a person who has a carpet cleaning company. Same story. I don't want to clean carpets. Okay. I know someone who has a lawn care company. I don't want to mow yards. Okay. I know people who make tons of money in sales. I don't like people. Okay. I know a person who just left his job that that he hated, and I, I talked him through jumping off the cliff, but not for suicide because five feet down, there was another landing that he went to. He's so much happier. And he's making so much more money. And his life is so much more fulfilled. Doing mortgage lending. Well, I don't want to do that. The mortgage business corrupt. Okay. <laughs> what do you want to do? I don't know. Let me ask you this. And I'll continue through these goals. What makes you want to get up in the morning? If you're totally honest. If you're completely honest, you might say nothing. If I could sleep all day, I would, but my body won't let me. It gets tired of laying there, and that's why I get up. There are people who, that's their life. I don't know if there's any people here like that, but I know people like that. Okay, you have no reason to get up. What if you did have a reason to get up in the morning? What would it be? I don't know. Well, if you did know, what would it be? What makes you happy? I don't know. Well, if you didn't know what makes you happy, what would it be? What do you what do you want to do? How do you want to make money? And I already mentioned a bunch of ways you could. You might not like any of that. Find some other way. Do you know we live in this place where It seems like there are no jobs because they're different than they used to be. And yet a person can be sitting at home on their cell phone or in their mom's basement and write code and create an application for a cell phone and become a millionaire without ever going through a patent attorney or a marketing department or anything. What a society of unparalleled opportunity. And it's not just in this country. The culture has changed. The jobs have changed. The mindset has changed. If you don't change, you'll be stuck deeper and deeper and deeper in your rut. And so to my generation, when you hear the older generation say things because they're filtering this world through the world they used to know, listen respectfully. If it has merit, if it helps your life, apply it. If it doesn't, let it go in and out. You have a choice, and I'm not being critical, but when you hear something, somebody say something like, there's no jobs, that can tell your brain subconsciously, I don't have a job because there are no jobs. Or it can tell you, wait a minute, every time I drive down the road, I see hundreds and hundreds of people working. Somebody's buying all these houses. They must have jobs. Somebody's working in these restaurants. Somebody's buying the food to give these waiters jobs. They must have jobs. They're jobs. There's ways to make money. You just don't know what you want to do. And let me say this. Don't be hard on yourself because of that. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> you talk to any older happy person and most of the time they'll say, I'm still trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. You know why? Because we were made for another world and nothing we ever do in this life will completely fulfill us and yet you can be full of joy, passion, vitality, excitement in this life, in the moment, because you are fulfilling what God made you to do, which is to love Him supremely, use the talent He gave you to the best of your ability, and try to help people while you're at it. That's what will make you happy. The fifth point, I just said they choose to see opportunities instead of obstacles. Successful people also live mostly balanced lives. And that's why success is not just financial. All you have to do is look in the media, the tabloids, and you'll see multi-millionaire singers and movie stars committing suicide periodically. They were successful in terms of money, but their lives weren't balanced. They didn't have spiritual fulfillment. They didn't have love at home. They were missing something. They weren't happy. So really successful people have balanced lives. They recognize it's not all money, but they recognize I can't just sit at home all day. That's not what I'm supposed to do either. And they also recognize that sometimes there's a season of sacrifice so that you can have a season of being more what you want. Successful people, the sixth point, they focus on their attitude more than the circumstances. I sort of alluded to that already. A successful person is in a bad set of circumstances and instead of grumbling, complaining with all their coworkers or their family or whoever... Inside of themselves, they say, what can I do? Sometimes subconsciously you tell yourselves, there's nothing I can do. And your body goes, oh, nothing you can do. And it finds a way so you can do nothing. You ask yourself questions, what can I do? You don't get an answer, ask yourself again. What can I do? And your brain says, I don't know. And you say, well, if you did know, what would you do, brain? And then it tells you. What can I do? People who are successful and have this attitude, they recognize their attitude is if they have control over the attitude, they don't have control over circumstances. They're also thankful people. They're so thankful. I I can't tell you the number of joyful janitors that I've known. Thankful. Happy to have a job. Mechanics. UPS drivers. The lady that delivers my mail is pretty happy and nice. You don't have a job, you don't know where to get one, why don't you do one of those? The other thing successful people do in terms of attitude is they say, how can I respond to this situation in a way that will give me the results I want? In other words, how can I use the talents God gave me right now in the midst of this difficult situation? They keep asking until they have an answer. The seventh point that that I've observed, successful people shine light rather than raging against the darkness. And this is something we hear. I, I mentioned Wednesday, those of us who are leaders, we have an opportunity and an obligation when we see darkness to shine light so that people can see a way through the darkness, not just to rage against the darkness. And that's something, oh, like everybody else, I want to complain about my generation, frustrated with how they can't communicate and they can't make change and they can't do this, they can't they don't know how to do anything. I saw a book at the bookstore that said all the things your parents should have taught you but didn't. And I, I think I bought it, I don't remember, but I flipped through it and read and it was like uh, how to start a gas stove, sit up straight, how to navigate a life raft, how to build a campfire, um, how to tie a tie, all these things that you older people take for granted, because you are actually taught it, this generation doesn't know how, and they're not stupid because of it. And so we can complain or we can shine light. We can be like the story that one of y'all told, instead of getting frustrated and making fun of the kid who can't make change, take a minute and show them how. Maybe they've never been shown. What if you grew up your whole life on calculators? And everybody, I mean, every time they said don't use a calculator, and now the culture says, huh, my teacher said we wouldn't have a calculator everywhere we go. <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> you see the smartphones? But they don't always work. Besides that, you know how long it takes to get out your phone, do biometrics or the code, find the calculator, type it in. When you just, if you just understand uh, multiplication tables, you do it in a much quicker. Not only do successful people shine light instead of raging against the darkness, the eighth point, they live in the present. Body, mind, soul, and conversation. If you're tied up in the past, if you can't let go of regret, you are not successful now. If you're caught up in the future, If all you can think about is someday when something happens, you're not successful now because the future might not get here like you expect. All we have is right now. That's what he was talking about before I got up here. This is all you have now. I told you part of my success definition is being fully in the moment while preparing for the future. But if the future preparations take the joy and the peace and the thankfulness of the moment, it's out of balance yeah you want to work right now to make the future when it comes like you want it to be, but all you have is right now so successful people live in the present body they don't look for some miracle cure for their body problems. they actually exercise they actually lower their blood pressure if they you know they, they focus on being calm and meditating and, and whatever they need to do their mind everything I'm talking about is scriptural. you can check it out. This message will be five hours if I gave scripture references for all of it. But I'll use one for this. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How do you do what God made you to do with your life? You renew your mind so that you're able to discern what that is. How do you renew your mind? With good things, with scripture. Not just with scripture. You can read this book. This is one, the best book in the world. And yet you can miss so many things. Let me. I, I told you, practical message. So to my generation, when is the last time you read a book on money? Economics. Financial success. When's the last time you read a book like that? You can't remember? How about the time before that? Have you ever read one? You know who Warren Buffett is? You know who Ray Dalio is? Does the name Bogle mean anything? The head of Vanguard? You have a choice. You can complain about there's no jobs, things aren't fair, and, you know, it costs so much, a gallon of milk's five dollars, or whatever it costs now. Or you can improve... A skill set that you lack. you know how many books on money I'm reading right now? Three. It fascinates me. I'm reading other books too. Like this one. I want all of you young people, the older ones, y'all, y'all might already be settled exactly how you want to be. And that's okay if you are. I got this at a half-price bookstore for 2 bucks. I read half of it at lunch yesterday. And uh, so much of what I read fits right in with what was on my heart and what I'd already been preparing. There's tons of books on success. There's tons of books on goal setting. I've read probably dozens of them. But this one is really good because he has a spiritual foundation. And so I want you to go get it and read it. If you can't afford it, you can read this one. Although there's tons of highlighting and underlining because that's how I read books. It's called Success is Not an Accident. Written by Tommy Newberry. Success is Not an Accident by Tommy Newberry. I'm sure you can find it on Amazon. Probably for less than 10 bucks. I got it for $2. It's terrific. talks about goal setting. You're not accomplishing anything in your life because you don't know what your goals are because you don't know how to set goals. Or you're afraid. And I'll, I'll get into that in a second. Let me finish this list. Get the book. Read it. People who are... Successful, I said they live in the present body and mind. This is, that's what I started to say, this is part of renewing my mind. Not just reading the Bible, because sometimes we're too thick headed to get out of the Bible, the truths. I mean, we can read this parable, Jesus says, use your talents for me. (laughs) Takes a few sentences, and then somebody writes a book basically saying the same thing in 200 pages. But it gets all the facets to where you can understand it and apply it. In your life, so that is part of renewing your mind. They also renew, in the present, they focus on their soul. And that is that central part of you that drives the way you perceive life. Scripture talks about this. Guard your heart, for out of it proceed the issues of life. Another verse says, the king's hand... The king's heart is in the Lord's hand. He directs it whithersoever he will. It's so important. Not only what you put in your mind, but the people that you allow to break your spirit or to give you hope. There are people all around you who will give you false hope, and there are people all around you who will create despair without even realizing it. There are also people, sometimes I've had people like this in my life, who are just toxic and you need to just get rid of them. I mean avoid them. I don't mean like dispose of them. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just, <laughs> vengeance is mine says the Lord There are people you just don't need to be around and that is part of scripturally protecting your heart, your soul the motivation of why you do what you do your hope none of this stuff happens accidentally and they also live in the present in conversation they don't talk about the good old days all the time although we talk about it some they don't talk about the someday all the time they talk about it now Now, because that's all there is. The ninth point. This is the easiest one and the hardest one of successful people. They forgive themselves. Successful people have learned how to forgive themselves. They realize they will never be perfect. They realize that there was always something they could have said a little bit different, done a little bit different, chosen a little bit differently. They forgive themselves. They give themselves grace. They start each day fresh and they say, Lord, you just have to help me. The tenth point, in my estimation, successful people show mercy to others and kindness. The most successful people I know are generally kind people. They recognize that their life is a culmination of difficult choices, intentional choices, overcoming obstacles, diligence, working hard, studying when other people are sleeping, working when other people are playing. They they recognize all that is there. That's all part of it. But then they understand on a deep, deep level that whatever success they have is due wholly to the grace of God. Absolutely. A successful person never takes complete credit. They may take responsibility, but they don't take credit for their success. They recognize. And they might use different words. Warren Buffett, who I mentioned earlier, he's, I consider him successful. Not just because of money. Not just because he's, he at one point was the richest man in the world. By the way, he still lives in the same home in Omaha, Nebraska that he bought in the 50s. Billionaire who lives like a middle class Westerner, Midwesterner American. I'm reading a book that his son wrote right now. His son is Peter Buffett and he didn't go into stock investing. He didn't become a millionaire. He became a music composer. And he felt comfortable doing it. He said, no doubt I could have gone to Wall Street with my name. I could have made tons of money and I would have no fulfillment in life because that's not the talent God gave me. His father raised him. You know how Warren Buffett raised his children? He had a philosophy that he wanted to give them enough so they could do anything but not so they could do nothing. And what he gave them was a work ethic. If the kid wanted something when he was little, he got a job. Mowed yards, delivered papers. He didn't get handouts. Later when he got an allowance, it's because he worked for it. When he grew up, all his multi billionaire father gave him was hundred thousand dollars. That might seem like the world to some of you, it's not that much money. No. He had a choice to waste it on riotous living, all this. But his father believed that he that the greatest thing he could show his son was how to live, not to make his life comfortable. And so he went through failures with the music industry and with the movie. He wrote uh, scores for movies and uh, learned the hard way about a lot of things and made his own niche in life. And so that's what I'm telling you, my my brothers and sisters and Christ from my generation, people from my generation. You find your own path. Your parents, they see the water running on top. They don't see underneath the water. Only God can show you what's underneath there. Only you can know what you were made for. People may see glimpses and be able to help guide and direct you, but ultimately other people don't know entirely what's best for your life. And they may unintentionally discourage you or may unintentionally give you false motivation. I want to go just a few more minutes. Because it's not enough for another message and it's too important to leave. Does God want His children to be successful? Some Christians are not successful because they actually believe that God doesn't want them to be. How many of you who raise kids, your goal in life and raising your children, your goal was for them to be mediocre, average at everything. And yet Christians often live our lives as if our Heavenly Father's goal is for us to be average at everything. Never exceptional because that would be pride. You read the Bible, read the Old Testament, it's full of exceptional people. Outstanding people. People who were at the top of their class, so to speak. People the cream that rose to the top, so to speak. God wants His people to be the best that they can be. Do you believe that? A lot of religious people don't. If you think about it, I've noticed this in my life. Material things can be a distraction, but what I've noticed is when I'm most diligent in my workplace, when I'm most diligent in um, stewardship here, it runs parallel with me feeling close to the Lord. I don't feel close to the Lord when I'm lazy. I have not found a way to be spiritually content and not be driven in life. I haven't haven't found a way to do that, and I don't think there is. So, does God want you to be successful? Listen to what Jesus said, and then we're going to explore it. The thief comes not but to steal, kill, and destroy. In other words, the thief, the enemy, the devil, the adversary, his only purpose in life is to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal your hope and your joy. He wants to steal your peace for the moment. He wants to steal your desires for the future. He wants to kill your very life if he can, and he wants to destroy everything thankful. Good. Basically, he wants to destroy that list of ten things that I said successful people are. That's what the enemy does. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Don't shy away from the truth of this scripture just because false prosperity evangelists have hijacked it. It's still true. They've just taken it to an absurd extreme and made it about nothing but material prosperity. Jesus is talking about life. And he says this, that they might have it more abundantly. That Greek word is perissos, and it means, it comes from a word peri, which is Preposition that means beyond or in the sense of being beyond. The word means superabundant in quantity or superior in quantity, I- excessive. Uh, it can mean exceeding abundantly above, more abundantly, very high, beyond measure, more. So Jesus says, I have come that your life might be more abundant than you can imagine. I have come that you might have more out of your life than you ever expected. I have come that you might exceed every expectation you've made for yourself, not so you can be mediocre, not so you can sit back and do nothing, not so you can waste your talents. I would approve it with these these verses. Ephesians 3.20, this word is used. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. That is the same word, exceeding abundantly. God, you know this spiritually, but it's the same for your whole life. You're one person. God wants you to have abundant life. Matthew 5.37, let your communication be yes, yes, no, no, for whatsoever is more than these comes of evil. The word also means more than necessary. God wants to give you more than you need. Yep. Amen. I'm not just talking about stuff. Although, get that false humility persecution syndrome out of your head. You're not better if you're poor. You might just be lazy. You might have just not applied yourself. You might have just turned down overtime when they offered it at work. You might not have saved your money. It doesn't mean you're better. On the same, This doesn't even need saying because we understand it. But it also doesn't mean you're better if you're rich in this life. What did Paul say? Charge those who are rich in this life that they be not high-minded. Absolutely. In other words, have a reasonable opinion of your own success. Recognize it's a gift of God, a blessing. One more verse. Jesus went up to them in the ship, the wind ceased, and they were amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. That amazed beyond measure is this same word, parisos, exceeding abundantly. They were more amazed than they can imagine. God, listen. To my generation... You feel like your life doesn't have purpose or meaning. You feel like it's pointless. You feel like there's no reason to get up in the morning. God has designed a plan for your life that is more than you can imagine. You might have to do a lot of boring things to figure out what it is. You might have to go through the drudgery of daily responsibility to figure out what it is. You might, it might just start with you saying, you know what, I'm not going to let my mom support me anymore. I'm going to support her. Whatever that means that's moral and legal. Whatever you seek, you will find. If you believe that you can't, you won't. You realize that? I've had people tell me that I can't work right now, I'm in school. (laughs) I don't even know how to respond to that. I have a friend at work who completed his master's degree in 18 months, working 55 to 60 hours a week while being a good husband and father. Is that an exception? Yeah, but only because the whole culture is mediocre. God created you to be exceptional. Don't settle. Don't settle. Now, your exceptionalness may not manifest in that way. It might be in a different way. It might be in a quieter way. I preached a little while back. I'm, I'm trying to finish. I'm waiting on the Lord. And I want to give you an example of what that looks like. We, Daniel and Jonathan and I and some friends went to the lake the other day. And um, there was a big line to the ramp, one ramp. Daniel had his jet ski and I have mine. And he pulled his jet ski out, and I pulled in, and I backed in, and I looked, and Daniel parked his car, and he was running down the ramp, jumped on my jet ski, and drove it on my trailer before I even had to get out of my car. That's what waiting on the Lord looks like. You can do that and that. Do it in the rest of your life. And, I, and it, it overwhelmed me. And then I, I got, we ran home, we were going to go eat with some friends, and I went inside to change. I, backed, I had backed the jet ski up to the garage. I didn't unhook it. And I said to myself, I bet Daniel unhooked it for me. And I went out there, and the jet ski was unhooked, and we were ready to leave. How did I know he would do that? Because he's exceptional. Would most of the culture see that need and do it automatically? No. Is it because they're stupid? Maybe. Is it their fault? Maybe not. But they should still take responsibility and change it. So if we can recognize excellence in something as simple as unhooking a jets, you know why why it touched my heart so much is because if I had a business I'd want to hire people like that who see a need and they do it without being yes, told with yes, nothing, yes, just yes, boom, automatic. Just because, let me, let me say this before I finish, just because you haven't found your niche yet doesn't mean you don't have exceptional qualities. I've seen them. And the young people in this church, I've seen exceptional qualities in other areas of your life. You just need to get the, the confidence and the intentionality to apply it to the areas of your life that really matter. And for some of you, that just means finding a way to make money. I'm I'm being practical. You might not love it. (laughs) Did you always love your jobs, Brother John? (laughs) Not always. In fact, maybe a lot of the time not. And yet we're meeting in their house for church. Because he trudged it out long enough to get a retirement that allowed him to buy a house like this that had room for us to meet in. You don't know what God's going to do with your life. You don't know what he's going to do with the daily drudgery. You don't know. Okay, let me finish or it'll, take, it'll just keep going. My prayer is that you, my generation, especially the people here who know the Lord, that you would listen to these words. I told you I want you to get this book I told you about. Success is not an accident. Buy it, read it, use it. Listen to this sermon again. Take notes. Change your life.